Welcome to Course Stories, produced by the Instructional Design and New Media Team of Ed Plus at Arizona State University. In this podcast, we tell an array of course design stories alongside other ASU Online designers and faculty. On today's course story... So conceptually, we did want a different type of engineering course. We didn't want the same old, you know, heavily mathematical, very divorced from practice makers course that we would normally see in a university setting. At the same time, you know, we wanted it to be accessible to a large number of people, so we designed it for teaching it online. So actually, it started off being designed with a large number of competencies, and and also we're we're dealing with sort of some engineering design thinking, uh, social implications of technology, teamwork, all of this kind of packed together in the same course and available completely asynchronously at people's convenience in their home. Hi. I'm Mary Loader, an instructional designer from ASU Online. I'm Ricardo Leon. I'm a media specialist at the same place. Yeah, we work together. Let's get on with the show. Okay. Okay. We are recording. So I'm going to have to get quiet like you, and you're going to have to get loud like me. I'm going to try. Sorry, I just had a bunch of fish, too. This will be a lot of fun for you. <laughs> we are at the Vine near, well, I guess on the ASU campus. It's, it's adjacent. Yeah, it's adjacent. It's, I feel like it's on campus, isn't it? Like if you looked at a map, is this actually campus? Good question. Oh, I'm very loud, so I have to get softer. So good question. I, uh, I think that there are dorms in the vicinity, so that probably counts. We are celebrating at the Vine. That's why we're here. Happy hour. Yas, here, glass, glass clink. There it is. So, uh, Mary, this is the last episode of season one. <laughs> a time for celebration. We're going to be taking a little bit of a break, but we'll have some uh, things coming out for you during the summer. Uh, more course stories. We haven't said the name of the podcast yet. All right, people. So. Go ahead and make sure that you're subscribed and liking us and, 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 and keeping track of what we got going on. We got a whole lot of stuff over the summer that we're going to be sharing out to you and then a whole new season coming out in the fall. So we want to say thank you. And, uh, and if we see you out in the world, in the conference world, make sure that you say hi to us. We'll give you some swag. Yes, we're going to get stickers and buttons and stuff. That's going to be so fun. I'm looking forward to it. All right, so you're not going to hear very much from us from this in this episode because uh, we're actually in the interview. We decided just to, to include ourselves. So this is it. Goodbye. Bye. We'll see you next season. And after this episode, make sure you go back and listen to all the other episodes. Be a super fan. Get your badge in an NFT form. Is that it? We haven't made that yet. No. Goodbye. <laughs> Hi, I'm Diana Radosavievic. I'm a senior instructional designer with Ed Plus and the designer that partnered with Eric through the Technological Leadership Program. With me today is Eric Stribling and Matt Robinson. Eric, would you like to introduce yourself? Hi, my name is Eric Stribling. I am an instructional professional with ASU's Interplanetary Initiative, uh, where I teach a making course that we are going to talk about today. 
Prior to coming to ASU, I taught mechanical engineering at l'Université de Montagne in Bagante, Cameroon. Thank you. And Matt? Uh, hi, I'm Matthew Robinson. I'm the uh, manager of the new media team here at EdPlus. Someone who's been on the show return before, vi- yeah. return visitor. Return and of course, listener, you know, Mary and I. We're here. <laughs> here we are. Excellent. Well, thank you, Eric. It's so great to have you here with us to talk about your course story. What I find unique about your course is that it is hands-on and project-based and a course that students take several times during the course of the technological leadership major. Even though it's not an engineering course, you teach making skills like 3D printing, mechanical thought, electronics, computer programming, and engineer design thinking. This is no small feat, especially when you take into account the number of hours spent in the studio with our media team to develop your lectures and lab instruction videos. Not to mention the short timeline you had to develop the course, which I believe was about three months. Oh, yeah. Not quite sure. Something like that. (laughs) So, Eric, will you please share with us what your course is about and tell us what excites you about it? Yeah, so I really like my course, because as you said, it's sort of hands-on. It's not an engineering course, but I believe it does cover a lot of the same ground. The, The goal of the technological leadership degree is to sort of train up, could we call them like technologists, makers, who can make new technologies in the way that we, you know, technology gets developed today. So today, you're not going to have a single inventor locked away in his closet, tinkering away. Most likely, makers, technologists today are going to be working in large teams, communicating heavily, dealing with a lot of the socio, uh, social impacts of their technologies, and we try to replicate that. So in this makers course, we do start with hands-on learning. We get students In the lab, the first time that we ran this course, we shipped off uh, 3D printers and electronics kits and soldering stations to students around the country. And we worked through practical examples, hands-on, and with the help of this studio, we were able to really show students how to make stuff at the very beginning of this course. So I think it's cool. I don't think anyone else is teaching making in this way anywhere else in the country. Excellent. And so what do you hope students will take away from this course? I want students to feel at home making. So, And they're literally at home making these things. Well, yeah, I guess they are at home. (laughs) Good start. That was was clever. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, Eric. Uh, so yeah, so I, I, well, yes, I do want people to be at home, at home making new technologies, and I want them to feel comfortable. You know, in a lot of engineering courses, you really start with basic science and calculus, and by the time you've actually touched a physical object, you're possibly in your third year, and I just don't think that that is very conducive for learning. So, Eric, one of the primary goals of this course is to help students develop proficiency in both making and designing, as you said. So, but can you explain it a little more to us? Can you tell <laughs> us a little more about what is meant by making and designing? The end goal, th- this is a course, this is a major, very heavily associated with the Interplanetary Initiative, and therefore it's very 
associated with making technologies for space, designing something for the context of deployment outside of the Earth. So the technologies that are implicated very much are 3D printing, very robust, small electronics that can withstand heavy vibrations. You know, you have a lot of, for example, satellites that have to deploy out. So thinking through how we can manufacture compactly with the idea that this is going to get larger once it reaches, you know, the outer atmosphere. But, you know, these technologies that we are using they're very specific for this particular uh, mission. Mission, yeah. No, it's all about the mission. I've heard Katie Coleman say that a lot. It is all about the mission. It is. It's all about the mission. Yes. Yeah. So this course is new to the technological leadership program for both the online and on-ground program. What was your experience developing this course? I, I know we began with a course development worksheet. You can also call it a course planning map where you really began to conceptualize the course and break it down into modules. But then on your own, I recall you kind of creating a different spreadsheet just for the lecture. So how did you decide what lectures you were going to need, what materials you're going to use for this course? Yeah, so I think a maker's course was always a part of the technological leadership degree. But this particular course took a lot of actual internal work before we actually even planned what we were going to teach. So there were a lot of internal conversations with members of the Interplanetary Initiative, uh, people who are involved on various NASA teams, you know, deploying small satellite systems out. And it was just sort of like, what do the people who are involved with making technology today what are their skill sets? What do we what what can we teach makers that are not being taught right now? Uh, so we sort of ended up with a couple of core competencies. Uh, half of the course is technical, so we have mechanical, electrical, computer programming competencies. But on the other side, we have design thinking, the social implications of technology, how to work with a team, how to break out a very complex project into smaller pieces and have people, you know, work together and have systems interlocking. So this course is actually based around the competencies that grew out of those conversations. And I have a question for the instructional designers here. Is this a typical thing to have this many cooks in the kitchen when it comes to developing a course? It sounds like you had you had a whole team that was working on developing the course. You know, they kind of there was different levels that you had to. Uh, what's the word when you're consult with at the interplanetary initiative, and, like Lindy and all those folks? Yeah. So I mean, the this is actually like the whole technological leadership degree is an attempt to have people who are involved with the making of technology that think differently. So mm. the major itself couples this technical making course with a lot of other competencies like, uh, I know students have to take a psychology course, they have to take an open inquiry, how to deal with questions that don't have a correct answer, or Questions where there's a lot of unknowns. How do you even start tackling that type of a problem? And that's a course, actually, that uh, Lindy teaches currently as a part of 
our degree program. And this course essentially tries to follow that same philosophy. So we do have our own sort of inquiry cycle that's part of the engineering design paradigm used for this course. I love exploratory learning, and that is so what this degree program is about, is exploration and learning through exploration. Really cool approach. I can say that. It's unique. Not all of our programs are that way or built that way, but they're all very intentional. All of our programs are built with intentional pathways, so that's not necessarily unique. But the approach, using people in industry to make decisions on what the competencies are, that is kind of unique. Yeah, it was a very thoughtful approach. I mean, I I wasn't a part of the initial meetings, but just the way the program came together, just as Eric had said, pulling in some psychology, you know, there's a course from Herberger. I mean, it's a very thoughtful program that leaves students very well-versed and well-rounded when when they complete the program. A truly interdisciplinary experience. absolutely. Bringing all the best together, which is so what the Interplanetary Initiative's mission Mm -hmm. is all about, is bringing artists into the room with engineers and seeing what comes from that. I just love the initiative. I think it's so cool. Oh, yeah. That is very much baked into, like you said, both the major and interplanetary initiative all over the place. Because, you know, it's so easy to look at an engineering design problem and say, okay, this needs to be optimized. But someone coming from, you know, a sociology background or someone coming from an artistic point of view, you know, when they look at the same problem, they may answer it very differently because Mm -hmm. they have other things that they value. This is really why humans need to work together to solve problems. You know, when you just treat everything one-sidedly, you you do end up with a lot of unintended consequences. Such a holistic way of designing a program and designing a person to interact in our world. I just have a lot of respect for that. Eric, would you mind talking a little bit more about the six main modules of the course? Um, That'll give our listeners a, a better understanding of just really how unique this course is. Yeah. So, I mean, like I said earlier, right, we have technical competencies and then we have, we'll call them designing competencies. And and the, the course is called, you know, designing and making for an interplanetary future. And what, you know, what we mean by an interplanetary future is just the fact that it's, it's seemingly evident that humans will go to space more and more. We have now space tourism. We have the possibility of manufacturing. Uh, that would be tremendous for from a sustainability point of view, right? If we can do all of our very toxic manufacturing outside of the Earth, that may be a game changer for <laughs> uh, climate change. But so, so the course has technical competencies. Uh, like I said, right now, it's mechanical and 3D printing. So building the structure of something that you're sending up there. And then we have electronics and programming. So you know, the circuitry required to measure and send back information. Those are the two competencies right now in the course, but we do want to keep growing it uh, and keep adding new and new technologies, all that are very much based on what real engineers and technologists are using in space. Uh, On the other side, we have sort of technological thinking. How do you approach a complex problem? Because right now, the technologies that go into, say, the space shuttle or some of our satellites, no one person can 
comprehend everything that's going on. And so you need to understand how to break down complexity into smaller and smaller pieces that a huge team of thousands of people can work on. So Eric, you spent a lot of time in the studio. What was it like? Uh, How long did you spend in the studio? Who did you work with? Yeah, so part of this degree, right, is putting the technology, putting the maker's supplies in front of the students as soon as we can. So, But we also wanted it to be online and accessible to as many people as possible. So that meant recording very high quality videos in the Ed Plus studio where uh, students could, say, work on 3D printing or they could work on prototyping out uh, a new circuit. But that required frontal shots, uh, then I would go back to talking, and then you would have to really zoom in and look at my hands and see what I was physically doing on, say, the, you know, the circuit board. And then there was code involved, so then you would have to sweep back over to my computer screen. So there were just a lot of moving parts going on at the same time, and as I understand from the experts here, that would require a lot of video editing, had we shot it in you know, a more traditional way. Yeah, absolutely. One of the challenges of this, right, was the timeline that you had a very short amount of time to develop an awful lot of content for the course. And for us, we typically look at a two-week turnaround on any video, and that was just not going to be feasible with the amount of videos. Plus the fact that this was what we would consider a four-camera shoot, as you mentioned, a a front camera, close-up, and overhead, and then the computers, um, the screen capture, uh, that meant that that would take quite a bit of assembly time. And so we put our heads together and the creative approach we thought was, well, what if we do all of the editing live to tape, meaning that we were live cutting with a, using a, um, like a switcher between the camera shots that we needed and recording that. So there was really no going back if we accidentally <laughs> switched to the wrong camera angle. We just had to accept that we would have a quick switch to the right camera angle in those instances. But what it allowed us to do is move through this content very quickly. So essentially after Eric would you know come in and run through the setup or the, the lecture or the demonstration, we essentially had that video pretty much ready to go right afterwards, which allowed us to move through the amount of videos. Cause it was Ricardo, how many videos did we do? Oh, I think it ended up somewhere in the uh, mid forties. Yeah. I believe. No, no, no. I think it was the sixties. I think I it was, was 60. 61 wow. to be exact. Mm-hmm. We wow. could look back on the <laughs> spreadsheet that Eric made, which is amazing. The planning that went into oh, yeah. even just drawing out the spreadsheet is a huge benefit to being able to organize yourself in that space. Yeah. Cause I mean, we filmed, what did we film? Like an average of 12 a day. I would show up like nine o'clock and then we would, I would just stand there and do lecture after lecture, exercise after exercise. And, and we've, we've said this before, but we couldn't have asked for a better person to be working on something like this because Eric was great at presenting instructionally and, and just got it, understood what we were doing, how the, the system worked, how we were going to be switching cameras and, and knew, you know, and, and I mean, it, we took a little bit of coaching, but he knew, keep your head out of the frame when you're, you got the overhead cam. And, and I don't know how well I did with that. <laughs> Eric did great. You, you have a, a great personality on screen. And, and again, like, like Mary was, was uh, speaking to is organizationally, the whole, the whole thing exists 
existed, you know, on that spreadsheet and in your mind, it was really just like a perfect harmony between between what you were trying to do and what we were trying to capture. Ricardo, flattery will get you everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's let's flatter Ricardo real quick because I, w- I got to be here for one of the days when you were shooting mm-hmm. and it was amazing yeah. to see it all come together in real time with the four different shots and editing in real in real time. It was just outstanding work. Yeah, one of the cool things about you know, eliminating all that time that we would have spent in post-production editing and getting all the right shots and, and sequence together, not having to kind of consider or factor that in allowed Ricardo to really be very creative and, and spend extra energy on the look of the set, which, you know, has this really unique look to it, something that was influenced from our experience with study hall and creating some content that was going directly to YouTube. So it was a lot more colorful and a lot more just set dressing to it. Right. Uh, we and, called in a favor with uh, Dr. Mike Tracy. Thank yeah. you very much. Shout Thank out you, to physics. Thanks shout out to the physics department who let us uh, borrow some uh, oscilloscopes and different kinds of, you know, interplanetary looking equipment that we were able to dress the set with. Yeah, which was great. That was a really brilliant thing to think of, Ricardo. And then, you know, and then you even had time to do some fun things. Like there is a Halloween. There's a Halloween. Love yeah. that yeah. one. It's my favorite. That we got to use our very uh, seldom used lightning effect. <laughs> lights. That's your awesome. I'm so glad that you. score to get that one done. <laughs> yeah. I'm really glad that you mentioned the set because that was fantastic. That really made those videos. Oh, it was a really incredible set. Not only professionally dressed, but the lighting, like it was all just beautiful. The branding with the lighting. I I loved it. So good. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there was that aspect of like, yeah, trying to brand it, trying to give it a specific look for this course and something that we've continued as we've done other videos with Eric, apart from this main chunk of them, we've tried to kind of maintain that look for him. Yeah. And it's super cool. You guys have also really dressed up the set for, I've, you know, like I, like I said, I, I do a lot of how technology impacts society and then how society ends up in reverse impacting technologies. And so we had a set uh, where we discussed Amish technology mm-hmm. and you guys, uh, you know, dressed up the set, you know, what was it like milk jugs? It was like a, a bucket. <laughs> yeah. I brought in like a bucket, yeah. <laughs> old timey bucket. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. It was, it was pretty fun. Yeah, and then we've just talked about Frankenstein, and then you guys did a whole Frankenstein shoot. Mm-hmm. And uh, I got to use the lightning again, so that yeah, was fun. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> if you guys uh, haven't read Frankenstein recently, it's actually a phenomenal work when it comes to talking about how people think about technology. Because really, Frankenstein was written right after the Industrial Revolution, and it sort of captured people's anxiety about the effects of technology on their lives. So it's a really neat segment if you guys ever want to take my course. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure people listening will want to take the course. It's a really unique opportunity to play while learning. I love that. I love the hands-on nature of your entire assessment strategy. Oh, yeah. I mean, personally, I I, I wouldn't want to learn any other way. 
So, Eric, you just launched the course in Fall B of 2021. What are the backgrounds of the learners? Or, you know, I don't know if you want to go typically as far as technological leadership, but at least the, the students that were in your course. And the reason I ask is if they have no technology or engineering background, it just seems like this course is so great to boost their confidence to make it through these exercises. And maybe if you'd like to talk about some of these exercises, that they go through in the course. It's really interesting yeah. activities. So the assumption, this is a 200 level course, so a sophomore level course, and we go into it assuming that students have no background in any sort of computer programming, technology, etc. And we really start off with very basic exercises it starts off very well structured at first. So you start off, you know, essentially in the computer programming section, right? You're going to start off with a basic exercise that teaches you what variables are, what a loop is, how to print to the screen. And, you know, you, so there's there's a couple of very well structured exercises that lead you to having enough competencies to where you, we hope that students can feel confident that they can take these, <laughs> these building blocks and make their own thing. So then at the end of these four very well-structured exercises, then we ask them to express themselves creatively in some way. And it's it's different for each module, but, you know, sort of that, that Halloween video, that was a creative exercise where students were supposed to take sort of the electronics that they had learned and tinker with a object. And so for that particular video, I found a jack-o'-lantern and I poked holes in the eyes and, and put little light up things so that when you approach the jack-o'-lantern, it would light up. <laughs> and I do that on camera. It took about 15 minutes. And it's really just to give students like an idea of what they could do. I mean, the, the whole idea is that working with technology, it should be fun. And we hope that students are self-motivated throughout the whole course to just keep going and tinkering. You know, if you are going to make technology, you need to tinker. But how do you teach that? How do you get people to sit there for hours and work on a problem that's hard? But, you know, if you look at video games, kids kids will do it. So uh, we're just trying to tap into that same. Uh, and I know that there's, an, there's another uh, podcast that you guys have on gamifying a course. And in a sense, that's sort of what we wanted to do with this course was to tap into that sort of intrinsic motivation that students can have with cool stuff. And you do, and you have Yellow Dig in the course and still exploring other options to possibly move the course into another platform, maybe one day. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh, we're still working on that. But yeah, Yellow Dig's a, a great example that we also try to get students to help each other out, show off the cool things that they've done, and sort of we're working on making a lot of these creative projects, maybe some teamwork, just to sort of switch it up and have students teach each other. That That's kind of a, a goal that we have for this course as well. And I think it's worth noting that your step-by-step -step videos, you know, really, that that's what makes it safe for them to succeed. I mean, these videos walk them through all the steps. I mean, you are there doing it with them. <laughs> mm -hmm. 
you know, when this project came to our team, the real challenge was that timeline and the fact that we operate at such a high scale that if we couldn't come up with a creative way to approach this, we were really, we wouldn't be able to have done it. And so that was a, a huge factor of, of us being successful in this was actually, you know, coming up with this method and realizing like, let's, you know, we had taken some experience that we had doing some live events, knowing that we have kind of done this live. We just didn't record, you know, record it in the same kind of way uh, and taking that and applying it to this particular project that really allowed us to do it. And then the only other thing I'd add is that, and Ricardo, you touched on this, but Eric, like if you hadn't been the type of person that you were that, that, that could go with this, could pick up quickly with what we have, and that was also just good on camera, I also don't know that we would have been so successful in moving through 60 videos in such a short period of time if that hadn't all been well-organized, planned, and then anchored by, you know, your presence on camera. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Was the Studio B space the only space used for videos in this course? Oh, no. no. Oh, mm-hmm. what else did you use of the Ed Plus Studios? I'd love to know. <laughs> I used them all. <laughs> so actually part of the organization for filming this course was, so I mapped out in my head and then in Excel every lecture that I was going to give and then what camera shots I needed. So if I needed all four, like it was a project that required a frontal shot, an overhead shot, and then going to my computer, then I saved those for Studio B. If it was just primarily computer programming, I would uh, shoot that in the micro studio. If it was a more traditional lecture with a PowerPoint, uh, PowerPoints actually don't work well with Studio B, so I would go to Studio A. A, which is a more traditional green screen uh, where my floating head you know, talks in front of a, a PowerPoint presentation. Yeah, Matt, do you want to give us kind of the rundown of what Eric is referring to? Sure. Yeah. So we are talking about our Tempe studio space, which was newly renovated. And, and, and Eric touched upon the fact that we have three studio spaces there. Studio A is our primary um, green screen studio. We use that to record uh, the bulk of our videos, really, that we record in a year. And that's a lot of that lecture capture content that kind of tries to mirror the um, experience that faculty have when they would lecture in a classroom against some PowerPoint slides, minus the fact that there's no audience there (laughs) for them to to feed off of. Our micro studio is a semi-self-service studio. Uh, in which we open that up really to anyone at the university, uh, faculty or staff. And uh, that space is running OBS software. It essentially allows for screen captures, picture-in-picture with the uh, person on screen as well as whatever they're trying to screen capture or just them on screen. Uh, And they can switch between those. And it's a good setup with some good audio, good lighting, but a very useful space, and it particularly works very well for needing to show off uh, either just a program or a piece of software, a website, doing some sort of like whiteboard talk where you're not really needed to be on screen. And then our Studio B space is a modular set space, a studio where we can kind of do anything we want with it. It's a nice big open space, and we have uh, several different pieces of equipment and furniture that we can move in to create various different looks. So it works well for our panel discussions, interviews, 
labs and demonstrations and just anything else that doesn't fall into kind of the more traditional lecture type media that we create. And how can uh, interested parties yeah. book these spaces? Way to plug our studio. <laughs> um, so our uh, you can find all of our studio spaces at onlinestudio.asu.edu and you'll see right there on the top menu uh, studios and you can book time in our Studio A or Micro Studio. Studio B is a space that we reserve to kind of make the decision of what goes over there. And so that usually is a conversation that we'll have with the instructional designer and the faculty, find out what they're trying to achieve and then decide if that space is the right space for it. And that's the space where you're encouraged to bring props, bring set design ideas, go big or go home. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. We're, we're still, so we're not even a year in this space and we're constantly trying to push what we can do in here and new looks. And, you know, I don't think we want to ever get stale with that. It's, we designed it in such a way that we were hoping that it would kind of have infinite looks. And so we're constantly trying to push that. So yes, we encourage uh, all of that. So all of you creative and organized faculty members, feel free to reach out <laughs> for a conversation on Studio B. I was going to say time is a factor, although Eric did manage to do all of this in about three months, which is really a miracle in itself. A superhero, really. He really oh. is. Along with the team. Yes, well, of course. Yeah. Yeah. I think... When you say three months, that was starting from no content whatsoever. Yes. Perhaps mm-hmm. yeah. the first time we met. Right. Wow. <laughs> That's right. No. Oh, yes, truly. Oh, I, I was looking through the calendar, and I think it was late July that we might have had our first meeting, and this was for Fall B, so not for October. Common. No, not at all. You guys are amazing. Well, Eric is, and so is Ricardo and Matt yeah, and everyone at the studio that helped make this happen. It's true. It would have been uh, terrible without Ricardo's help. It would have just probably been me, selfie, you know, holding my my (laughs) camera backwards while I, you know, try to solder with the other hand and burn myself and the phone drops. You know, it would have been a terrible course. (laughs) Well, it helped. You you kicked it off with a consultation at the studio. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think you actually started at our Sky Song studio. I did. And they very quickly sent once, me over here. Yeah. Once they got the full vision, they're like, oh, we know where to send you. Yeah. <laughs> it worked out well. So, and that was, I mean, also, you know, the the timing of it as well. Obviously, this a global pandemic and uh, and we were kind of starting to get the studio started to become in a more of an active use at the time. And this was kind of like, oh, this was welcome to come in here and go, oh, yeah, we Eric's got a million ideas and maybe we can do them all. I mean, I think it's great. There's so many things that we struggled during the pandemic to teach at a distance. And I think, you know, this approach could be awesome because I know that this maker's course is tough to do at home, but you guys did some pretty, some other cool projects, right? Didn't you uh, dissect a, a pig or something? Right, 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 and that 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 experience kind of uh, Guy Mullins, uh, who who's now retired, and that's another shout out there to Guy Mullins. We love you, Guy. Um, uh, he he had he had done this before. He had done multi uh, camera shoots, not editing live, but he had our kind of had a model for that that we we adapted to Eric's course. Well, I, I was actually just going to tug a little bit on something that Eric said in the sense that you know this being this online course and us adding all this media and stuff, it would be very difficult. I imagine 
vision in a classroom to make sure that everyone could see like everything that you were doing in these demonstrations. And maybe one of the advantages of this approach was the fact that everyone's getting a front row seat because you watch this video, you get all the angles that you need. It's all very clear. You're seeing everything that you need, something that may be, you know, it was a bit of an advantage to just the online version of this, uh, of this course. Oh yeah. And then when you're confused, right, you just, you rewind a little bit and you can rewatch something that's difficult. Right. One of my professors, Peter Bennett, he said, you know, at first he was worried about online learning, but then he realized because of the way that we do lab video shoots, it truly is giving each student that front row experience and they really do get a better experience because of it. So cool. Well, because they can revisit it. I mean, Absolutely. how many things did we wish we wrote down when we were in class? I mean, and your your in-person students, Eric, how how were they able to benefit from these online materials? Well, really? We haven't had in-person students yet. I did make myself available to have some of my online students who happen to be in Phoenix, they would come by and could ask questions and I could maybe clarify something in the video. The, I'd say the hardest lecture was was actually the calipers because of how using calipers, you know, especially manual, the manual type, you, you have to kind of read these very thin lines and that was hard to see on the on the video. So I did have students come by for clarification there. You know, but on the whole, they didn't need a lot of help. <laughs> I think the videos were very uh, explanatory for most of the exercises that they had to do. So Eric, how does this course story end? How will your students be able to apply what they've learned in your course to their life? Hopefully this course is very aligned with the needs of the space industry. And my hope is that they will apply it in their jobs. They actually don't leave our course for a while. This course is designed to be taken six times. And we've set it up so that there's just new technologies, new group projects that are constantly being added to the course. The hope is that this course just grows and grows and grows and becomes this massive monster that will allow students to keep building their competencies both in, you know, making and also designing. Very nice. Thank you. And well, lastly, what about any lessons learned? Anything you plan on doing differently uh, the next time you teach? Yes. So uh, one lesson that we learned was that we had crammed a lot of content into a sophomore level course and students just couldn't keep up with all of the new technologies. So what we're looking to do now is while we're still maintaining sort of this focus on mechanical and 3D printing and uh, electrical and computer programming knowledge, we're starting to kind of break that up by semester so that students can focus on learning 3D printing this semester while not forgetting design thinking or the social implications of technology. But, you know, because oftentimes when you're 3D printing, right, especially with a cheap 3D printer that doesn't offer, offer for example, auto leveling, there's, there's a steep learning curve. And to force students to do that steep learning curve across three different technologies, it's a bit rough. So we're looking at 
sort of having students when they enter the course choose one that they will focus on this semester. But because the the idea is that this course will be retaken, they just can focus on another technology the next time they take it. Have a lighter touch when you touch the table. Oh, am I just banging? Just sorry. <laughs> you're right, so authoritarian. Right. <laughs> <laughs> they will have choice. <laughs> they will have choice. <laughs> choice for all. <laughs> oh, goodness. Okay. Uh, Diana, uh, how would you encourage uh, faculty that have kind of this like monster idea to approach moving forward and developing a course like this? Definitely completing the course development worksheet, you know, really just sitting down on paper and conceptualizing, you know, and and organizing it by modules and having a consultation with the studio early on. Yeah, that's key for something like this. Really, we just need to pull everybody together to see how we can make this work. We usually can make most things work. It's just a matter of what is the goal behind every activity Um, and just talking it through. And that's something that we did, you know, on our weekly meetings, just talking through what these modules were going to look like, what the goal was. So uh, Diana mentioned a course development worksheet that we use at ASU Online. And in case you're interested, we've included a copy of our template that we use most commonly at ASU Online to help our instructional designers and our faculty members communicate and plan and conceptualize and prepare themselves to actually build the course in our learning management system. Excellent. Check it out. (laughs) (laughs) Is this only a course for people in the interplanetary program, the leadership, technological leadership program, or can anybody take this course? No, it is uh, available for everyone. It qualifies as a science and society course. Very cool. So anyone at ASU that needs a science and society course, which is basically everybody? Yeah, it's a requirement for the college. Oh, okay. Yeah. So this is a great course for so many people. Very yeah. cool. Our experience right now is that it, uh, what do you say? It, it sells out fast. Good. So. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's always Standing nice. room only. Yeah. <laughs> we, we decided actually, so we had 10 spots available for in-person and we decided, oh, why don't we add like another six? And like the next day they were all gone. Wow. <laughs> and that was your in-person version? That's the in-person wow. version. Yeah. That's awesome. So in person or online, choose your own adventure. That's the goal. Yeah. (laughs) Well, Eric, thank you. We really appreciate you taking the time to share your course with us and taking us through the development process. I look forward to working with you on the next iteration of this course. Oh, well, thank you so much for having me. Thank you to Ed Plus for making this all possible. Yeah, I just love hanging out in this space like we definitely became buds. Like, oh, yeah. Like, yeah. It's like, yeah, Eric, come over anytime you want. Let's go go upstairs, get some coffee, chill for a minute. It's cool. Yeah. You came oh. to Guy's retirement party. I mean, like, you're mm-hmm. part of the team. Oh. <laughs> you are. I have told him he's an honorary member of the oh, yeah. M-plus family on for a number sure. of times. For sure. Yeah, Absolutely. right? Next, uh, next fall, I'm going to just, I want you guys to put me behind a camera, teach me how to do all the stuff. Hey, Dad, you're... <laughs> Sold. You're in. Don't ask it twice. I, you know how many times I need a stand-in to do lighting checks? You just come on over and, and, and I'll light you. Light me? Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds dangerous. And there will be free coffee and snacks. And oh, free coffee I'm and snacks. sold. For compensation. <laughs> For compensation. <laughs> 
Well, cool. Looking forward to it. I need I need studio time anyway, so we'll, oh, yeah, we'll, we'll discuss. Oh, yeah. <laughs> all right, all right. This podcast is over. <laughs> Core Stories is produced by the Instructional Design and New Media Team at Ed Plus at Arizona State University. Core Stories is available wherever you listen to podcasts. You can reach us at corestories at asu.edu. If you're an instructor at ASU Online, tell us your core story, and we may feature it in a future episode. Thanks for listening. <laughs>